Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to the prophet Jonah and reading for our text, verse 2, but it is the last part of verse 2 upon my spirit. The whole verse reads, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying, when I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil, particularly the last part of this verse. Really, the verse we read as our text is the key to the whole of the book of Jonah. We know that the nation of the Ninevites, Assyria, Nineveh is the capital, that they were destroyed in about 600 BC. And this prophecy relates to some 130, 150 years before that. So they were spared for those years further from being destroyed. And that then would uh, place where Jonah really came in history. We know that he is mentioned in the days of Jeroboam II, which was a time of great wickedness with Israel, but they were prospering, so they weren't listening to the Lord. And we read there of the prophecies of Jonah. Some think that those prophecies were made at that time, but they could have been made before then. But what we do know is that because... Jonah was sent to the Ninevites, an ungodly nation, and Jonah knew what was in our text, that the Lord would not send a man to a people if he did not mean to send them repentance and to turn away his wickedness or their wickedness and his wrath from them. And so Jonah says that this was his saying in his own country. This was the reason why when God told him to go to Nineveh, he ran away and found a ship going to Tarshish, a long way away, 2,500 miles or so away down the Mediterranean, away from Nineveh. He had the fare as well. And we always think, you know, sometimes you might take as signs from God that the way we're going is right. Jonah could have said, well, I found a ship. I have the money that it is the right thing to do. But we know it wasn't. He knew it wasn't. But we could be the same, looking at things as if they were evidences that we're walking in the right path. It is the word of God that tells us what is right and wrong. Always remember that. Don't be deceived by your own thoughts 
as to what path you are walking now is right if it is contrary to the word of God. It is not a right path. However much things you might point, things in your life that are going right and well. For the Lord sent a wind out into the sea. What a mercy it was that Jonah was stopped. What a mercy it was that he was also preserved from the sea when he was cast into it. What a mercy it was that God sent him again and not someone else. And the Lord blessed his ministry in the way that he did. Well, we have the account here that when God did bless his ministry, when, as in the previous chapter, we read that God saw their works, the works of the Ninevites, how they repented at the preaching of Jonah, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. But Jonah is angry, very angry. Now he's not pleased at what God has done, and he tries to change God's mind, take away the blessing, destroy them anyway, but God would not do that. Even the instrument God used to bring them to repentance, God would not listen to him. God had given him his word, blessed his word, and he wouldn't take away that blessing, not for Jonah's anger. It's a great encouragement for any who has been blessed through a servant of the Lord that afterwards has either fallen away, brought the word into disrepute, or even has said that the word that he preached to them, uh, that he preached wrong or uh, was not right. We must always be careful as the Lord's servants that we don't, on one hand, preach the word that's made a blessing, and then on the other hand, rob the people of it and take the word away and say, well, I spoke wrong or I wasn't really blessed and helped by the Lord and it wounds the people of God. But here is Jonah in this position and really the prophecy here at the, the book of Jonah leaves him still angry and yet we know that he was one of God's children. But may we always remember anger resteth in the bosom of fools and may we be delivered from that spirit. But Jonah could have done a lot worse than what he did because he, though he is angry, he is still praying to the Lord. And whatever we may feel, whether we feel angry or discouraged, whatever we may feel, may we go to the Lord and, and tell the Lord what we feel and why we feel it so. Jonah, he prayed and May that be true of us, that we are found on praying ground. But what is upon my spirit this morning is the latter part. It's what Jonah knew. It's what Jonah knew. But it's also how he acted. And I want to think about it in this way. 
knowing that God is gracious, how, how do we act? Jonah knew that God was gracious, and we read how he acted, how the Ninevites acted, but how do we act? So I want to look at three points. Firstly, how do we know that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil? Jonah says, I knew. How do we know that same thing that he knew? Secondly, how the Lord can be a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest him of the evil. How can he be that? And then thirdly, how will we act? How will we act or how are we acting when we know that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. So firstly, the question, how do we know this? How did Jonah know this? There's two ways. One is through the word of God. This is why we read the portion in Exodus, Exodus 33 and also going into 34. <clears throat> this is after the children of Israel had been brought out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. Moses had gone up the mount. He'd received the tables of the law of God. Meanwhile, the children of Israel had persuaded Aaron to make a golden calf and they worshipped that idolatry and they caused the Lord to show much anger and Moses so angry he cast the tables of stone and broke them at the bottom of the mount but Moses made intercession for the children of Israel he pleaded for them. Instead of the Lord showing his wrath, destroying them, he showed mercy to them. Moses wanted the Lord's presence with them. He was assured of his presence. And as we read, when Moses asked and said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then there was shown that place by him, beautiful time of our Lord Jesus Christ, the cleft in the rock, the hiding place in the rock, will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. 
And then in chapter 34, when the tables were hewed again, a beautiful type of the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling the law, those completed tables in the ark were like our Lord, fulfilling the law, completing it himself on behalf of his people. But then we have in verse 6, the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. That is one reason why Jonah knew and why we know that the Lord is a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance of the evil, because the word of God declares it. God declares it. God sets it forth in the holy word of God. We are to believe what God has borne testimony and witness of himself as to what he is. So that is the first way. The second is uh, that uh, we know by personal experience. Jonah, he had had a personal experience of a gracious God. He had run away. He had disobeyed God. God had sent out the wind. He had been thrown into the sea. But Jonah did not perish in the sea. God prepared the great fish Jonah was swallowed by the fish, preserved for three days, three nights in the whale's belly, and then vomited up on the dry land. Jonah himself had proved that the Lord was a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, repentance of the evil. Jonah had proved it. And we proved it. In Peter we read, If so be thou hast tasted that the Lord is gracious. The children of Israel knew what it was personally, not just at that time in the mount, but again and again in their history. How long-suffering the Lord was, especially at the end, before they were carried away into Babylonish captivity. Many, many prophets were sent unto them. Many times they were warned. Many years went by. And the Lord lengthened out his mercies. And really the whole continuance of the world, right from Adam's day to this, it shows forth the long-suffering of the Lord. The Lord didn't immediately destroy Adam and Eve and the whole of the human race. 
He gave the promise of the seed to the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. Then 1640 years later, when the world was full of wickedness, great violence, when men had departed from the Lord in a great way, the Lord said that he would destroy the world. It repented him that he made man upon the earth. But then we read that Noah found grace in his sight. The Lord turned away that evil. Yes, the world was destroyed by water, but Noah, the eighth person in the ark, they were preserved and kept and all spring from Noah and his family, all spring from Adam. And we have in the account of the flood the great mercy and long-suffering of the Lord. And right through the history of the world, the reason why the Lord does not immediately destroy man is because of what we know from the word here of the nature of the Lord. And it is because he still has an elect people. He still has a people to save. He still has a people to bestow sovereignly, as we read in Exodus 33, I will be gracious upon whom I will be gracious, merciful unto whom I will be merciful. He still has a people that he will bestow his grace upon still has a people that he will be merciful to, still is slow to anger and long-suffering upon a people, and still of great kindness. We read at the end of Psalm 107, Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving-kindness of the Lord. Still the Lord turns away his wrath, Still he shows mercy. Still he gives repentance and remission of sins. Still he saves a people that are not deserving of being saved, that have given every reason why the Lord should destroy them. Still he saves a people, not for their sakes, not for their goodness, but because he can show mercy and grace because of his beloved Son. And so, before we pass on from this point, how much do we really know of the Lord? We read of the one that hid his talent in the earth, and when he was asked why, he said, Because I knew thee that thou wast an austere man, that he gathered where he had not sown. And really, the man was saying, He didn't really know the Lord, what he was like at all. And how much do we really know the Lord? If we had to take a sheet of paper, and we were asked to write down how we knew personally of the God that Jonah knew here. 
what we could testify of his grace and of his mercy. And we would have to also write down in that those times in our lives that we live maybe like David. He must have lived some year after he had killed Uriah with the sword, the children of Ammon, after he had committed adultery, lived with an outward show of religion, but yet was far from the Lord. And the Lord didn't destroy him all during that time. And if we were to think of those things, it may be that we are doing or not doing in our lives that are testing the Lord to the utmost, of which he is slow to anger, Maybe we are deceiving ourselves and saying, well, the Lord hasn't judged me, he hasn't destroyed me. But the word says that because sentence is not executed against an evil work, then the heart of man is fully set in them to do evil. And maybe with the Ninevites, that they continued on in the path of evil for many, many years. But now it comes a reckoning time and God in mercy gives them repentance. But what would we have to write about ourselves, about our own lives? How would we give account at the last judgment day? What do we know personally of the graciousness of the Lord? What do we know to what Jonah knew, for I knew. Well, I want to look then, secondly, at how the Lord can be a gracious God. We read in the Gospels, our Lord uh, setting forth of how that Jonah was a type, a sign, that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the whale's belly. We read in Matthew chapter 12, we read from the word, the Lord said to the Pharisees when they asked a sign of him, he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. No doubt the mariners had come back and they had said that there was a prophet on their ship 
that was going to preach to the Ninevites, but that they'd thrown him into the sea. The sea had ceased from its raging, but that the prophet had perished. And then suddenly the prophet appears and he's preaching in their midst. It must have been, in a way, a fearful sight or thing for the Ninevites. But this was going to be repeated the same when our Lord Jesus Christ came. The Jews, they thought that they'd cast the Lord out. They destroyed him, they'd crucified him, they killed him, they buried him, they slew him. And they thought, well, what then will become of all what he had prophesied and said and preached? In a similar way, it was when Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit and then they sold him and then they said, well, you see what we all become of his dreams. And yet the very thing that they'd done was a means of bringing about those dreams and saving their lives alive. And the very thing that the Jews had done to our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter explains the day of Pentecost, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain. They'd done that. But what a thing when we know that when the Lord rose from the dead, he only appeared to his disciples. He didn't appear to the people. But after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given, the miracles that the disciples did in the name of Jesus were greater than those that our Lord did in his lifetime. Those things that were done through the apostles, thousands were brought to believe, thousands were converted, turned from idolatry to the true and living God. The dead were raised, the sick were healed, the maimed were healed, made whole, and the Jews could see this. They could see the difference that had been wrought. They heard the preaching with power. It was like the difference between Elijah and Elisha. A double spirit rested upon Elisha and it was because Elijah had said, If thou seest when I am taken from thee, then it shall be so. And Elisha saw him taken up, and a double spirit, and you can count some eight miracles that Elijah did and sixteen that Elisha did. When our Lord was taken up into heaven, the disciples saw it. And the spirit the Lord said, I pray the Father he will give you another comforter. Tarry at Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. It was a double spirit that Elisha sought and it was a double spirit that was given to the apostles. And in these days of the preaching of the gospel, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is a preaching of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the apostle determined not to know anything among men save Jesus Christ and him crucified.
It is through our Lord's coming to this world, being a man made under the law, being born of the woman, that he fulfilled the law and made it honourable. His perfect life and obedience, his righteousness, a righteousness to be imputed and to be given to his people, to those that believe. And then he suffered in their place. He laid down his life to take it again, the commandment that he had received of his father. The debt is paid. We read in Exodus that the Lord will uh, not pass by iniquity. It must be punished. Sin must be punished, either in the sinner or in the substitute, either in Christ or in us. It cannot be passed away with nothing. And so it is, uh, we must, when we, we look at a text like this, and that the Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, repentance thee of the evil, there is a reason, there is how the Lord can do this. He is a holy God, a righteous God. He cannot look upon iniquity without utter abhorrence. He hates sin. He must punish sin. He must deal with sin. He can't just pass away. He can't just show grace to a person and mercy to a person that they don't deserve and it not be paid for. It is paid for. It's paid for at Calvary. Jonah knew the coming of our Lord. He knew the blessings, the same as all the Old Testament saints did, of the promised coming of the Messiah, the seed of the woman. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one way of knowing the grace of God, and that is in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. The signature of the Apostle Paul, and that which we close our services with, is the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And it is highlighted, that grace of our Lord. You know the grace of our Lord, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be made rich. If we are truly brought to know the blessings that flow from Calvary, we will be led to Calvary. And those who are led to Calvary will want to show that forth in the ordinances of the Lord's house, in baptism and in the Lord's Supper that both highlight this second point, and that is how the Lord can be what he is. Every blessing flows to us through Jesus' precious blood. There is no other way of blessing. He is the source of every blessing, of all grace, of all mercy, of every blessing. I want to then look thirdly at how will we act. If we know this, if we truly know it, how do we act? And there are five different ways I want to set before us this morning.
How do we act? If we know that thou art a gracious God, the Lord is a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Do we act like Jonah? Are we reluctant to tell our enemies and be a means of grace to them as Jonah was? There's really two reasons why Jonah fled. One was that the Ninevites, Assyria, was the ancient enemy of the people of God and they were going to be uh, the ones that carried away the children of Israel uh, the ten tribes and the thought that God would pass by his people and bless those that are enemies that thought it kept Jonah back. This is why he didn't want to go and preach to them. It is a real note. You know, the Jews, they viewed the Gentiles as being outside of the kingdom. They were. God had said, you only have I known of all nations upon the face of the earth. But he was always determined and beautiful of the prophecies in Isaiah that the Lord would bring in the Gentiles and bless them. And it is a great note that it was from the very place that Jonah fled from the face of the Lord and would not go to the Gentiles to Nineveh that Peter was, when Cornelius sent for him to go and preach to the Gentiles, which was to be the first time like the day of Pentecost in the house of Cornelius and Peter through a vision of the Lord was made willing and ready to go so that when he was asked instead of fleeing he went and I often seen the great significance of the difference each one they went down to the same place they both at Joppa Jonah runs away Peter, he goes to the Gentiles. And afterwards, the other apostles, they held him to account why he went into the Gentiles. And he was able to rehearse the matter from the beginning. And then they could see it was the Lord's hand. But there's a lesson to us here because it's repeated again and again. We have it in the parable of the, uh, uh, the prodigal son. We have the one that is saved and shown mercy and love by the Father is the one that spent all his father's substance in riotous living. And you know the elder son, he said, I've never done anything to offend thee. I was always good. I was always at home. He was angry. He would not go in. The thought that his brother should have mercy and should have blessing and show grace. It was just, it made him angry. And how many times it is that those that have always attended the church, 
those who have always done right. It's a great blessing to be brought up under the sound of the truth. But those who are brought up like that, they trust in that, and then they have something to say. When God brings one who has gone out into the world and done many wrong things, open things, sinful things, but he calls them by their grace, turns their heart, brings them into the fold, blesses them. They're not happy about it. And others, they won't bring the word, they won't give a Bible to someone. They say they're pastor, they'll never believe, they won't receive it. They're not worth telling the gospel to. I hope we're not like that. If we know the Lord is what he is in our text, that we be willing to bring that gospel and to bring the word to any, to the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the church of God, to those who are hostile, that we might speak to them and not run away like Jonah did. The other reason, of course, was that Jonah may well have thought, here I am, I'm going to be a prophet, I'm going to say that in 40 days this city is going to be destroyed and in 40 days it is not and they will turn around and say, some prophet you are, your word hasn't come to pass. And it was only by faith that the Ninevites would have realised that if they had not have repented, they would have been destroyed. And so for that again, it would have been a much easier thing for Jonah to say, what a good prophet I am. I prophesy Nineveh's destruction, and lo and behold, they are destroyed. Because, of course, the sign of a prophet was that his word did come to pass. And yet, the Lord, in this way, he uses Jonah as a sign, a sign to the generation when our Lord was to come. So then, how do we act? Let us not act like Jonah and hold back the word of God from those we think are not worthy of it or even our enemies. But secondly, are we ignoring God's grace and trusting in our own works? Paul speaks of this in Romans 10, of those ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish themselves. But what of us in our churches, in this gospel day, and maybe professing that we know that the Lord is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, repentance of the evil. But it may be that we are looking upon our lives and saying, I'm too evil to be saved, I'm too wicked to be saved. As if, well, if we were a bit better, if we were not so sinful, then we could be saved. But we are too wicked for that. And in that way, we are undermining and saying, well, God may be merciful, but he can't be merciful to me. And he may be gracious, but not to me. And on the other hand, we can be just ignoring this and trusting in our good works, not seeing our wickedness, not confessing that, and actually saying, well, Yes, we may do some things wrong, but that's balanced by all our good works, our charity and, and the things that we do good and, 
and how we've been used maybe in the service of God and that balances up where our hearts are not right, our secret life before God is not right and we're not really evidencing a renewed heart. So are we ignoring God's grace? Do we day by day plead for his grace, plead for his mercy Are we like the publican, God be merciful to me a sinner? Are we seeking from him that repentance and the remission of sins? The third thing, how will we act? Are we sinning that grace might abound? Are we walking in Romans 6 after the Apostle Paul had established that we are saved by grace and justified not by our works, but by our faith in Christ. Are we just sinning? Are we saying, well, it doesn't matter if I do this or that. I won't take too much notice of my heart or my life or what I'm doing. I know that my works will not stand up before God, but God is gracious and he's merciful and he will just pass over these things. Is that how we are acting when we know of the grace of God. Paul spoke very solemnly, searching in Romans 6 of that. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can we add sin to sin? How can we sin knowing that what sins we sin, they are they which are laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in the fourth way, are we doing what the Ninevites did, repenting. What an example to us. What a profound effect it had upon them. On the king, right down, laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth, sat in ashes, caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? What a picture. Two things. That crying unto the Lord and the real repentance, the two that are going together. In John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear friends, if we know what Jonah knew, then may we do what the Ninevites did that we might truly be a people that show every evidence of repentance. Repentance is a true token of the forgiveness of sin. Willing to turn away, willing to cease from sin, and those sins are forgiven us. We cannot be forgiven sins that we are unwilling to part with, that we are nourishing, keeping as our own, 
and really asking the Lord, forgive me all my sins, but not this one. For you will not be forgiven that sin for you're not willing to forsake. And we must remember, of course, our own wicked heart. It does cleave to sin. It doesn't want to part with sin. It cleaves to it. And sometimes we must confess that before the Lord. Say, Lord, I would that I'd be free from that sin. But I feel a love to it. My old nature loves it. Deliver me from it. Make me hate it. And would we be honest before God? Not trying to deceive him and deceive ourselves. And the fifth thing, how will we act? Are we walking in the love of God, hating sin, fleeing from it, but rejoicing in his mercy and in his grace alone? Really, there's the song of the redeemed here, like our first hymn that we sung, of the grace of God, the mercy of God, is what the people of God rejoice in, is what they are happy in, and in what their hope is, in all their sins, in all that they are, that the Lord is what he is. Really it is our only hope that the Lord does not change, that he is this merciful God, that where he does change is turning away his hand of wrath, when he is pleased to give us that repentance and godly sorrow for sin. If we feel the wrath of God upon us at this time, if we feel his hiding face, if we feel his hand against us, may we not despair, not give up, but remember what Jonah knew and what we trust we know ourselves and have proved before, and that we seek unto him for these blessings in our text. Seek again of his grace, his mercy. Seek again of his great kindness to bring us back and to bring us into the bond of the covenant and under that love of God, and that love be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. How will we act? How do we act? If we know what Jonah knows, there must be some response. There must be in some way we're walking in those ways that we've set before you here. May we be of those that search and try our ways and ask the Lord to search it for us. I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. The Lord bless the word to us. Amen.